recently when, when I remembered that Lee Sai was kind of doing a, a kind of unofficial quick survey, I asked folk at Claremont when I remembered, what was significant about Zacchaeus and the Zacchaeus story? What, what feature stands out? Um, well, there were a few different answers, but most people commented on his height or lack of height. He was a wee man. And it was remarkable indeed that a wealthy man in that society, big or small, would be seen climbing a tree. And the way that we've told the story over the years and the songs that have been sung, you know, Zacchaeus was a very little man and a very little man was he. You know, the way we've done that has focused on the wee man climbing the tree. But what is truly outstanding and, and remarkable in the story is not the, these details at the beginning of the passage that's true and read, but what comes at the end. Someone who for years had been an embezzler, someone who had been a cheat, someone who had um, oppressed the poor, someone who had lined his own pockets at other people's expense and had done so for a very long time, that person was so changed by Jesus, so transformed, that he gave money away. And he even gave it away in far more generous terms than he'd got it in the first place. Verse 8 in our passage. If you could go back to the time of the story and be there the next day, the day after Jesus had passed through Jericho, you know, people, you wouldn't hear people in the street saying things like, do you know what happened yesterday? Did you see Zacchaeus? He climbed a tree. Or, I could hardly believe my eyes. There was this wee guy, you know the wee guy, you know the wee nasty fellow, you know, the wee guy, the wee horrible guy that takes all our money. Aye, Zacchaeus, him. I saw him up a tree. That, that, that wouldn't be the conversation. What you would hear them saying is, did you hear about what happened yesterday with Zacchaeus? He was giving money away. Giving, giving money away four times as much as he'd taken from us. For the very first time, I, I wished I, he'd taken more money from me so I could have given even more back. That's what they would have been talking about. The fact that Jesus ch changed and transformed them. Now, there's, I think, it, at least, but certainly two issues that strike me about that about the way we deal with stories like Zacchaeus and, and other things. One is just that constant danger and failure we have in the church where we focus on incidental details rather than the big picture. Too often that's what Christians do. We get things out of shape. We get things out of proportion. We get it wrong because we major on the minors. And so people get more worked, worked up about changing the words of the Lord's Prayer from debt to sins and less worked up about whether they've ever learned to pray with others. People get more worked up about whether the bell is being rung rather than speaking to others about Jesus. People get more worked up whether it's bass and drums versus a pipe organ rather than whether we truly believe what we're singing. For example, the last line of when I survey the wondrous cross demands my soul, my life, my all. I, I suppose that hymn's been sung in every Church of Scotland congregation. And the vast majority of them more than once, more than a handful of times. 
demands my soul, my life, my all. So if we have sung that so often, how come so many of our congregations, for example, are struggling financially? Demands my soul, my life, my all, but, but no, I'm not going to open up my wallet that much, or I'm not going to fill in the standing order form. You see, we sing the words, but do we actually put our lives where our mouths are? For some, it seems fine to sing hymns without meaning it. But hey, we get upset if it's someone sings it to a new tune or a different tune. You see what, you see what happens? We, we major on minors. The incidentals become what's most important. Zacchaeus was a wee guy, true. But Zacchaeus was a totally transformed guy. And the other danger in the way that we repeat and portray episodes like Zacchaeus suggests that too often we are more interested in a good story and being entertained than we are by how the gospel changes and transforms life. As long as it's about a wee fellow climbing a tree, the story's fun. It's nice that he wanted to see Jesus. It shows how Jesus was really important to people. But when we look at the outcome of what Jesus meeting with Zacchaeus, the, the issues are very different. It's about the difference that Jesus made to Zacchaeus' life. And it's about the difference that Jesus ought to be making in your life and in my life. On that day, when Jesus passed through Jericho, in the passage that's true and read, Zacchaeus became a disciple. But he didn't leave Jericho. He didn't go with Jesus and the other disciples as they continued on towards Jerusalem. No, Zacchaeus was to stay put. He was to stay in Jericho and, and be a living witness and an example to the people of Jericho. He was to show them that the gospel was good news and show them what it really meant when salvation had come. Salvation came, verse 9, to his house, and, and he now was to live out that salvation and he was to do it in a way that would overcome the distaste and the, the hatred of people that he'd been embezzling and, and cheating against for years. Zacchaeus would have been able to sing, demands my soul, my life, my all. And this is why Jesus had come, verse 10. He came to seek and save the lost. He was, as he was establishing the kingdom of God, inviting, challenging, calling on people to enter that kingdom, enter that kingdom by letting Jesus become their king. And when Jesus, after his resurrection and before he ascended, when he met his disciples and commissioned them to take his work on, it was a work of doing the same thing, making disciples. It was a work that involved their whole selves. The word disciple really carries the sense not just of learning from Jesus, but becoming like him. Apprentice, I suppose, would be a, a suitable word that we use today. The idea of the apprentice is not just you're learning things, but you're learning to do things and do things in the way of the person who was teaching you. And becoming like Jesus means becoming a disciple maker ourselves. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost and commands his people to do the same. And it's through his followers, it's through the body of Christ, it's through the church that Jesus' work, Jesus' mission was to continue. 
Now, making disciples might not be the first thing that we think of when we are identifying spiritual disciplines. When we're thinking of the things that nurture our life with God, when we're thinking of the habits that we should grow to, to deepen our fellowship with God, maybe making disciples doesn't come as readily to mind in the way that prayer or Bible reading does or fasting or so on. But becoming like him, which is what discipleship is, includes becoming as interested in and as committed to seeking and saving the lost as Jesus was. And that doesn't just happen. We don't become disciple-makers just all of a sudden without doing anything. It's a way of life that we have to nurture. And it's through adopting habits that we do that nurturing that we begin to establish a way of seeking, a way of bringing others to Jesus. There are two features about that, and from this passage in Luke 19, that I want to highlight. The first is expectation. Nowadays, we are used to hearing about declining numbers in the church, depressing statistic graphs that go like that. And in an earlier season, uh, series, sorry, in an earlier season about mission-shaped living, we're mentioning from how, in, back in Luke chapter 10, Jesus was saying that the fields were ready. It was just that there were few laborers. Jesus was saying that God was interested in, God was committed to extending his family, to growing his work in the world. He, he is, as we read from Ezekiel at the beginning in the, uh, of our service, one who has no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. And, and that carries on through Scripture. Jesus tells then his disciples in Luke 10 at verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a harvest there, says Jesus. And so there should be an expectation that God will work in people's lives. God still has no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. God still has no pleasure when people reject him and turn their backs on him. Now, I suppose if you had asked the people of Jericho the day before Jesus came, who they thought Jesus would meet, who Jesus would spend time with, who Jesus would be interested in, and who would be interested in Jesus, I don't think any of them would have said Zacchaeus. But Jesus was ready. He looked up to the tree where Zacchaeus was, verse 5, and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And that's so typical of Jesus, that he was ready to make contact, to build connections with people. Here he's doing it with Zacchaeus. In John chapter 4, he's doing it with the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. Starts off a conversation about having a drink, and before long he's speaking about being the Messiah. Or as he goes in, in Luke chapter 8 to see a, a girl who he's been told is dying, he, he stops and and looks for a woman who has touched his cloak that she might be healed. And Jesus is ready. He wants to speak to her. He wants to find her. He wants to make a connection. And that, that's it with Jesus. He was always on the lookout for contact, for points of connection, for interest and salvation. He believed and he trusted that his father was at work. And so he was looking for signs of that. Now, in contrast to that, 
as I say, we've bought too readily into the stories about decline in the church and thought, well, nothing changes, nothing's going to be any different, nothing's going to be any better. I remember one Sunday morning in a um, previous charge where um, one of the elders had um, gone to train for the ministry and completed their studies and had come back and was, was going to be preaching in the church one Sunday morning. And one of the hymns was the hymn with which we began our service this morning, To God Be the Glory. And we were to sing it to the same tune as we sang today. But it's a different tune that was in the Church of Scotland hymn book. And in that different tune, um, the words of the chorus don't appear. And so I said to our preacher that morning, but the, the, words, the words are not there. This was long before the days of video projectors and stuff. And I was saying, the, wor the words are not there. You've not put them in the order of service sheet. And she said to me, oh, but they know them. Who knows them? Well, people who have been coming to that church for a number of years had sung it often enough that they knew the words. But what if somebody else turned up that day? What if somebody came for the first time? Was it really beyond the reach of God that a new person might turn up? You see what? Zero expectation. Just the familiar, just the same old. That's all we can look for. That's all we can, can expect. That's not the way of Jesus. And then zero expectation means there's no be on the lookout for new folk. There's nobody welcoming. There's nobody making folks feel at home because, well, nobody ever bothers to turn up here. And so we retreat further into our own wee safe shell and we forget that the mission of Jesus, verse 10, was to seek and save the lost. After that series that I mentioned on Mission Shape Living, we asked folks in the focus groups anyway about forming Ask Trios. The Ask Trios, when three folks stay in touch with one another, specifically focused on each of them asking God for, to lead him to people and asking God to help them to share Jesus with others. That is, it's about an expectation that God is at work, that, as Jesus said, the fields are ready to be harvested. And that the problem really is that the laborers are few. I've said a bit more this week in Claremont Calling, this Friday, is about the Astrios. and want folks to think about whether they could be part of one. It's an expectation. Is God at work? Is Jesus telling the truth when he says the fields are ready for harvest, that the problem is that the laborers are all too few? Do we believe Jesus? And then as well as expectation that we see in Jesus, the second thing I wanted to highlight was transformation in Zacchaeus. He was completely changed. The gospel is not about some minor improvements of life. It's not a bit like taking a fitness class so you can um, brush up on one or two things, become a bit better at something. The gospel, rather, is life-transforming. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And the real issue is not whether the change is dramatic as it was in Zacchaeus. It was a huge change from being an embezzler to being so generous. 
It was a, an instant change that happened in the space of a few hours, we suppose. The issue is whether we are changed by Jesus in all the ways that Jesus wants us to change. Zacchaeus had to make a 180-degree turn, really. He, he was going this route of selfishness, of nastiness, of evil and oppression, and it was a complete about turn to be a generous, giving, gracious person. Alison Morgan, in her absolutely brilliant book on discipleship, just simply called Following Jesus, the plural of disciple is, is church, Alison tells how uh, an evangelist tried to uh, convince her once that she needed to come to Jesus, and he talked about how she needed to repent of her sins. And, and she says, I thought, what does he mean? I am hardworking and successful. My relationships with friends and family are good. I have never slept around, got drunk, or smoked a cigarette, and the only thing I've ever stolen was a small plastic pair of doll's sandals in the girls' cloakroom in my infant school. That wasn't my finest moment, but surely he's not talking about that when he says, repent of your sins. If he'd said, you're going very successfully, but in the wrong direction, if he'd said, you need to think not about what is in your life, but what is missing from your life, then I might have understood. You see, Zacchaeus needed to make a 180-degree turn, but Alison says, perhaps, she says, I needed to make a five-degree turn. 180 degrees is spectacular, five degrees is not. And yet, if a polar explorer were to set off in the wrong direction by five degrees, he would miss his destination by thousands of miles. We all need to change direction. We all need to orient our lives towards God. And so, it's not just people like Zacchaeus. It's for all of us that, that, to allow this gospel to, to apprentice us, to disciple us, to change us and transform us. And it doesn't matter if it's not <clears throat> the huge headline-writing kind of issues like there, there were here. The important thing is that it's becoming more like Jesus bit by bit. And if, even if it's only a much smaller turn than the complete about face that Zacchaeus was making, doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Oh, it does. Becoming like Jesus is not something superficial. It is about deep and lasting change. So then expectation, God is at work. Transformation, God can change, God will change those who come to him. He will change folks who seem miles away from the faith. He will change folks who seem to have so much in common with us. Jesus came, verse 10, to seek and save the lost. And that verse points us up the road to Jerusalem, where Jesus was headed. And his mission was not simply to suffer and die there. It was through his suffering and death to search out and rescue the lost sheep. Verse 7 in Luke 19, where it says, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner, will soon be replaced in the story by, He has gone out to be crucified between criminals. And yet the same reason 
underlies both things. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let us pray. Lord, maybe there were people in Jericho that day who thought that they didn't need the gospel. They weren't bad people like Zacchaeus. They weren't nasty people like Zacchaeus. But the truth is that none of us are good enough for you by ourselves. The truth is that none of us are worthy. None of us are deserving. That none of us get to heaven on the basis of our own efforts. That none of us can work out our own salvation through our achievements or our goodness. We need the graciousness of God. We need the mercy of God. We need the forgiveness of God. And we need the life-changing power of the Spirit of God in our lives. Give us the wisdom and the humility to see that. And give us the readiness, Lord, to have our lives changed bit by bit, section by section, that we might be more and more people in the image of Jesus. And forgive us for the times when we've thought God's given up in his church, God's given up in his mission, God's not interested or bothering here. Rather, give us that spirit of anticipation, of expectancy, of faith and trust and hope was the characteristic of Jesus and his followers. Even when they were living in times that were just as hard and just as difficult for the sharing of the gospel. And look where their expectation took them. To changing the world in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to change our bit. In Jesus' name. Amen.